Good morning, church. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at Radiant Life, and uh, thanks for coming to worship with us this morning. I hope uh, some of you stay around for our chili cook-off for our teens right after service. It's a lot of good chili, a lot of good chili back there. We're in between series. We, last week, we finished up a series titled The Adventure Awaits. Next week, we're going to launch a new three-week series that leads us into Easter titled Awaken 21. Next Sunday. Thank you. One person's excited. Next Sunday. Next Sunday, there, there will be 21 more days until Resurrection Sunday, our biggest holiday in our faith. And we want to awaken something inside of us the 21 days leading up to Easter, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And I hope you don't miss out on what I believe God's going to do in and through Awaken 21. So invite, 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 be here next week. But we're in between series, so I'm going to do something that just God laid on my heart. It's titled Messy Church. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're messy. Turn to the other one and say, you're messy. We're all messy. And this message is going to be about looking at the heartbeat of Jesus, his vision, what he's about, and how it relates to church. And we're going to look at a verse this morning, several verses, but one in particular that oftentimes I like to go to because it resets who I am, it resets my mind, it resets my thinking. When I allow selfishness to creep in, when I allow pride to creep in, when I allow the world to say it's all about me and no one else, I recenter myself on this verse. So if you will, if you have your Bible, your tablet or phone, turn with me to Mark. It says Luke. Why did I say Mark? Freudian slip or something. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, found in the Newer Testament. Again, two-thirds of your way through your Bible. If you have a God's Word in front of you, if you don't, take a Bible in front of you in the pew. Take that home with you. It's our gift to you. And Luke chapter 4, let me tell you who Luke is. Luke is a physician in the 21st, not in the 21st century, the first century. And uh, he, uh, he's an eye, he goes around and gathers eyewitness accounts on the life of Jesus. And then he sits and he writes this letter that we have today titled Luke. And we're going to start Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And here we go. He went to Nazareth. He meaning Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Now let me explain a couple things there. Sabbath day is their Saturday. It's when they worship. The synagogue is like church, okay? So Jesus is going to church, and he goes on and says, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, to put this in perspective, because we're looking at a first century world, and we're living in the 21st century, we may not fully understand what's going on here. So in a synagogue service, what often would take place is the very first thing that you're going to do to come to church is you're going to go into the mikvah. 
let me hear you say mikvah. The mikvah is outside the doors, and you would have to go into it to get purified. It's like a big bath. Steps that go down, and it's to purify you in order to come in to the synagogue or the temple. Next, we would sing some psalms. We would have a portion of singing, and then after we uh, sing some psalms together, we would go into the reading of the Torah, 30, 35 minutes of the reading of the Torah. What the Torah is, it's our first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We would sit for 30, 35 minutes and just read it together. It's a long time to read, isn't it? I mean, we just look at a couple verses sometimes on Sunday, sometimes a chapter, but imagine 30, 35 minutes of just reading of the Torah. Then what happens is you would have a reader come and go to the scroll closet and grab a scroll from the scroll closet and read a portion of the prophets. This is what Jesus is doing. He goes, the attendant will grab them the scroll. He would have it and unroll the scroll and begin to read a portion from the prophets. And Jesus is going to read from the prophet who? <laughs> yeah, Isaiah. And so what would happen is in a synagogue, you have the four walls, and around the four walls are benches. They're stone benches, nothing soft, nothing great. And the elders in the older generation will get the benches all around. The younger generation and kids and everyone, you get to sit on the floor. So when you're sitting on the floor, you're probably like, okay, hurry up with this service, right? This is uncomfortable. So be thankful we're in pews, at least something, right? And what would happen is if you're the reader, in the center of the synagogue would be a stone tablet. And you would stand on the stone tablet and begin to read the scroll that is in your hand. So in this case, Jesus is standing right here reading the scroll to everyone who's sitting on the benches, who are just sitting on the floor, and he's going to read from the prophet Isaiah. And here we go. Let's continue on with the story. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And here's what Jesus is going to read to everyone. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the who? To set the oppressed free. The term here, oppressed, means those that are on the fringe, those who have been bruised and crushed and abandoned, those that have been just in absolutely bondage. He says, come to set the oppressed free. And then he ends, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He's sitting down in what's called the Moses seat. Let me hear you say Moses seat. Now the Moses seat is Jesus was in the middle of the synagogue on that tablet reading that Isaiah. He handed the scroll back, so the attendant goes back, opens the closet, puts the scroll back in. Now you're the person who read from the prophets. You are to come and sit in a stone seat known as the Moses seat, and now you're to give your application of what you've read. Maybe five to seven minutes. That's it. And now all eyes are on him because they want to know that was some powerful verses. You read Jesus. How are you living this out? 
And in verse 21, it said, He began by saying to them, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they sit there and go, huh? It's the shortest message ever, is it not? And some of us are like, can we go back to that, Ryan? Just say eight words and be done. <laughs> right? Eight words. He's done. And what's amazing is he tells the people, I'm that that I just read in the prophet Isaiah. It's me. I've come to set the oppressed free. I've come to set the prisoners free. I've come to proclaim the good news of God to the poor, to everyone. It's, it's me. You heard it in the fulfilling side. And it says people were amazed at what Jesus said, but others, the religious leaders, got irate. They got annoyed. Because they didn't think that, no, that's not you. So what they ended up doing is they took Jesus. Now, he's in Nazareth. He's in his hometown. And they took Jesus out to a cliff. They want to throw him off. It's the first step in stoning someone in the ancient world. Throw them off the cliff and then throw stones at them. And Jesus is at the end. He's in his hometown. They're ready to throw him off the cliff. And the Bible tells us, Luke records that he just walks through the crowd. And he never did another miracle in his hometown. They rejected him. He went from city to city then. He landed in Capernaum, which is his ministry base, his home base for ministry on the Sea of Galilee. And he goes there and he heals a demon-possessed man. After healing the demon-possessed man, he goes then and goes to Simon's uh, mother-in-law, has a high fever, and he heals her of her fever. And he continues to go around city to city, synagogue to synagogue, preaching who he is, teaching God's word, God's kingdom. It's awesome. Brokenness will be healed. He's going from city to city, healing people, getting a paralyzed man to walk again. I mean, all sorts of miracle. His popularity is going through the roof, and, and everyone doesn't want Jesus to leave. I mean, I wouldn't either, right? I, hey, Jesus, don't leave my home. Stay here. I, I may get sick in about a month, right? And I need you here. And then in verse 43, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. He says, I got I to keep doing this. I can't stay in one spot. Too many towns need to know about the kingdom of God, and I got to go to every single one and proclaim who this God is. He ends up going from more town to town, and then he does something if you turn to Luke chapter 5. He does something that is absolutely unheard of. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, referring to, man, he's just healing a bunch of people, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. All right, so far. Let's read those first two words together. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything. And followed him. Now, to a Jewish reader who would have read that in the first century, it would have been like a record skipping. <laughs> a Jewish reader would look and say, No, 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 Jesus, you can't do this. Why? Tax collectors were the most hated people during the time of Jesus' life. They ripped you off. You hated that. 
And in the, in the ancient world, Rome was ruling at this time. So immediately, tax collectors, you were taxed 50%. 50% direct tax straight to Rome. You couldn't do anything about it. Then the tax collector will probably throw another 10 to 20% on top of that in order to recoup and for him to make money. So you have a possibility of getting taxed all the way up to 70%. Now you know why they hated tax collectors. They ripped you off. And for some, they were just getting barely by in their living, and then they have to go to the tax collector, and he may take it ever, everything. And what's interesting is you bidded for, you as a tax collector bid out your area. What that means is, uh, let's take our city, for example, Sturgis. Rome comes in and says, all right, tax collectors, who wants to be my tax collector in Sturgis? Someone say, Rome, I'll give you $300,000 to be the tax collector in Sturgis. Someone else say, no, 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 Rome, I'll give you a half a million dollars to be the tax collector in Sturgis. And Rome says, sold, half a million dollars. So now tax collector is now collecting 50% of taxes on all of you directly to Rome, and the tax collector is out a half a million dollars. He's going to recoup that half a million dollars real quick, charge you another 20%, then he wants to make some money too, so he may add another 5 10% on top of that. And we go every, all the time to the tax collector with everything we have, and we're like, I hate you. And that's exactly what in the first century this felt like for tax collectors. They were on the outside. You hated these people. They ripped you off. And this is the first time in history that we know of as a rabbi, going to someone to say, follow me. Disciples in the first century world, you chose your rabbi, your teacher that you wanted to follow, and you would try to ask them, rabbi, may I follow you? I want to be your disciple. And the rabbi will put you through a quiz and be like, I don't want you to follow me. You don't make the cut, but you, you're really smart. I see a lot of potential in you. I want you to be my disciple. Yes, you can come and follow me. But Jesus only rabbi we have in the entire history that we know of goes out to find his disciples. So as a first century world, no way, you don't do this. But Jesus did. Story continues. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now why is there a large crowd of tax collectors? Because tax collectors are only friends with tax collectors. They're hated. They have no friends, right? They're just like, I don't have any friends. Hey, buddy, you're lonely. I'm lonely. Okay, we'll get together, right? And here they are having a banquet for Jesus, and some group of people get upset. Continues on. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders during the time of Jesus, and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, what'd they do, church? Ah, they just complain to the disciples. Just complain. Many of us, we complain, don't we? It's almost like a spiritual gift sometimes. (laughs) Don't look at your neighbor and be like, yeah, it is, I know it. They just started complaining. Here's their complaint. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you, you you and your group, Jesus and your disciples, your 12 young men, you're doing life, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat with those who are on the outside of society? Jesus says these words. It's not the who. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the who. 
sick. It's not the healthy, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus' ministry basically says, that's who I am. I'm the guy that stood in the center of that synagogue in Luke chapter 4 and said, I've come to set the oppressed free. I'm the guy in chapter 5 who went to an outcast in society and came to him and everyone hated this individual. It is I, Jesus, has said, come and follow me. You're part of me. It's the heartbeat of who Jesus is. So what does this have anything to do with two doors on stage and a messy church? The door represents... Who comes in and who stays out? That's what a door represents. And in our own lives, we all have doors that we let certain people in, keep certain people out. Radiant life has doors that says who's allowed to come in and who stays out. And you look at Jesus' life, Jesus had big hands. And welcomed everyone, did he not? He went to the prostitutes, he went to the drunkards, he went to the outcasts of society, he went there. And who complained? The religious people. Why? They wanted that sterile religion, that perfect religion that says, we go by these 613 laws, and Jesus, you're breaking them. Jesus, no work on Sabbath. And Jesus says, I bring life to the Sabbath. This person needs healing. Of course I'm going to do that. And Jesus had arms and hands that were so wide and says, you are at home with me. But Jesus just didn't have big hands. Jesus had big legs and big feet. Jesus didn't just say, hey, all are welcome. Jesus went. He went to the tax collector that everyone hated. He didn't just stand back and say, hey, tax collector, hey, over here, follow me. He took his feet. He went to a broken person. He said, come follow. If I was to summarize anything in those verses that I think are the heartbeat of who Jesus is in the doors, it would be this church. The doors of the church got to have hands and feet. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to have hands and feet. Turn to your other neighbor and say, got hands and feet. That's our next bumper sticker right there, got hands and feet. Listen, listen, you've got to have hands and feet. We sit there as our vision and passion of Radiant Life Church is to live like Jesus. I know it's hard sometimes to sit here with big open arms and hands and say, all are welcome, you belong here, but deep down, it's messy. Someone who has an addiction, addictions are messy. Relationships that have gone astray, they're messy. Alcoholism is messy. Lust is messy. People who feel alone and overeating and addiction, to what else? Abused and guilt-ridden and are dependent in eating disorders and feel depressed. It all gets messy. But if we want to be the community that Jesus, I believe, envisioned for his church, it would be all are welcomed here. You find a home here. We may not get it, I may not get your issue, but I'm here with you, and I want to be Jesus for you, and with you, and walk through it all. Church, we got to have hands and feet. 
We can't just do this Sunday morning thing. Oh, we would be missing who Jesus is if this is all it is about. Oh, we'd miss it all. There are people in our spheres of influence who need Jesus. Are you the hands and feet of Jesus? Are you saying, hey man, I embrace you. I don't know everything you're going through. I'm going to be there. You belong here. I'm going to go out to where the brokenness is. I'm not just going to stay back in my little bubble. I know it's really comfortable in our bubbles. That's why they're called our comfort zone. It's comfortable. Jesus doesn't call us to comfort. He calls us to go. All right, Pastor Ryan, it's great. You've got to have hands and feet. All right. Make it applicable. What do we do with it? There's two things I want, church. It's this. Love the unlovable. Give hope to the hurting. Love the who? Give hope to the who? Love the unlovable. Is that not difficult to do? You know why they're called unlovable? Because they're unlovable. It's hard. But Jesus, tax collector, Matthew, on the outside, you are so unlovable, everyone hates you, but I'm going to go to you and say, I'm going to love you, come follow me. Imagine Levi, also known as Matthew, also who wrote the first book in the Newer Testament. Imagine being Matthew sitting here going, oh, do you really love me? Because the rest of these people hate me. Imagine what must have been going on for Matthew, for Levi in that moment. Wow. And something changed because all of a sudden Matthew becomes a follower of Jesus. Something changes inside of him. What would it look like, church, if we are those people and be the hands of Jesus and go to the unlovable, to give hope to those who are hurting? I'm sure some of us around us this morning, we're hurting. We just need some hope. Can I tell you this? You'll never find hope in the world, in worldly things. Your only hope will come from Jesus Christ. And there are people who need Jesus Christ. Let's go be the church. Let's go outside of these four walls. And so far, church, you've been the church. We've grown. I mean, look at this place. It's packed out second service. We've grown because many of you are being the church. Thank you. Let's keep going. Not to grow the church. I want to grow the church and I'll praise God and say, God, thank you so much. But I want lost people to know who Jesus Christ is. It's the heartbeat of Jesus. I want to be Jesus in the world. Man, my heart, I mean, just let's, let's go. I'm, all right, I'm getting fired up. Here we go. Next point. Woohoo! Hey, go to the pain, look for the lost, right? Go to the what? Look for the who? Here's the thing. We got to have feet that go. Look at Jesus. He went to the tax collector. He didn't just stay back. We got to go to the pain, and sometimes the pain is mm, scary. I don't want to go. No, it's scary. You've got to go where people are hurting. Go to the pain. Look for the lost. And that, for all of us, is going to look different in our lives. Because we all have different spheres of influences. We all work in different places. We all have different friends, different family members, different neighborhoods. I asked that question. Do you, do you, I asked the question in the membership class last Wednesday. And rhetorical question, so don't really answer it. Um, do you know your neighbor? Literally, do you know who lives next to you, in front of you, behind you? Do you know them? They could be absolutely 
hurting, and they could be in pain and loss, and you're Jesus waiting to meet them. Whew, that's heavy. It's heavy. So let's be the church. And sometimes it's going with our feet and coming along someone and say, you know, you are in pain, and I don't have all the answers. I can't give you everything, but I'm going to be here for you. At least I want to be the presence of Jesus in your life. And I'll struggle with you. You may hurt. We both may scratch our heads and not know the answers. But I want to be Jesus to you. Church, let's go be the church. Let's go think that this world is it's way above and beyond us. We were created for God. We have purpose in our lives. Let's go fill the purpose. Let's go be the church that Jesus has called the church in the 21st century. For whatever reason, we've gotten away from it. And we've made church about us. Have we not? Not necessarily Radiant Life, but I mean church in general in America. We made church about our preferences. Listen, if it makes lost people who don't know Jesus come in here because they love country music, then our worship should be country music. And I despise country music. Sorry, country music lovers. I mean, I, hey, you, you've got pain. I'm going to be there with you. I'll walk in. I don't understand it, but man. It's about those people who don't know Jesus. I'm saved, man. I've got my faith. I'm growing. Still want to live like Jesus. But oftentimes we just fall right there. It's just be like Jesus. It's about me. Man, we, move, we lose the entire Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Go. Let's go be a go church. Let's go be go people. The entire life of Jesus, go. The only time Jesus stood still, I need time alone with my heavenly Father. So I'm going to go to a solid, solid a place of solitude and just... Let me refresh, church. I just need to be with God. It's our only time we ought to be stagnant is time alone with God. Then when we're refreshed, let's go seek lost people. Let's go where the pain is. Let's go where the hurting is. Let's go give them life. Let's go be the church. So people who are suffering from some of the words on these doors can come in and say, wow, I do feel like a place called a home here at Radiant Life. I, mean, I, I may be struggling, but can you at least tell me about this Jesus that you're so excited about? Say, absolutely. If we do what we're supposed to do, the church will be messy. But I think that's what God's community is called to do. You often heard it said the church is not a, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. We're not perfect. Striving to, we're striving to be like Jesus more and more. More and more. But we'll run into people who have baggage. But the number one thing I know of Jesus, reading about his life, he welcomed them all. Church, are we going to be that church? Yes! As long as one said yes, I'm on fire. Praise team, why don't you come back up? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like at times in my life, I just like, I, I want all the answers, but I don't have them all. It's okay. Just seek God, seek Jesus in all of it. I feel like, man, I said this first, I feel like we ought to storm the gates of hell right now with squirt guns. Let's just go. Let's go. Like, 
We got hurt and lost people in our community. Let's go. You've got Jesus. Be the message of Jesus. And go. Let's be a go church. And guess what? You can be a go person, whether you're a little six-year-old, whether you're in teen in the high school, you can be a go person at 92 years old. If you're not dead yet, God still has a purpose for you. It ain't over. You're still alive for a reason. God's still giving you breath. Don't give up. Don't give up. And I want to say this to the older generation. My generation needs you. Don't feel like just because you've been there, done that, don't give up. Our teens need you. We need you. We can learn a lot from you. We can learn a lot from each other. Can we not? Man, we've, we've, we've come from all walks of life. All walks of life in this church. Be messy. Not for messy's sake, but for messy people who feel that they can call this home. We can say, good. I want you to experience this Jesus who changes lives. Let me pray for us. God, I want to be a go church. I think deep down in everything that you do, that's your heartbeat. It's everything who you are. So, Father, I pray that we would go. That we would go. That those people who are hurting on the outside will come down our drive at Radiant Life and say, man, I already feel at home. I feel like I have a place to belong, even though society wants to throw me out. Then we could come in and say, wow, this church is passionate about Jesus. This is, I want to know about this Jesus. God, I pray that we be that church. I pray we be the church that you look down upon and say, that's a people who get my vision for the world. Pray for that, Jesus. I pray we be a goat church. I pray you give us courage, you give us strength. Sometimes, God, we can have our arms wide open, but our feet are stuck. Give us the courage to go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, you can make your way down. Great time to grab your connection card from the bottom of your bulletin. Rip that off. Sign up for baptism. We are four weeks away from Resurrection Sunday, Easter, and we're going to celebrate baptism. Some of you, that's your next step. You haven't made it. I pray, jump. Jump. And let's get baptized. Let's take our next step in our faith. Guests, if you're a first-time visitor, you can take your card to Radiant Cafe. We have a gift bag and drinks on us. Just want to say thank you. And church, I can't say this enough. Thank you for being a God-first church with our money with the way that we handle our finances. Let's be, continue to be a God-first church so we can build his kingdom here and way beyond our community of Sturgis. First time guests, sit on your wallet. This is for us as believers, as followers of Jesus who call Radiant Life home to give back to God, what is already God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless both the gift and the giver. I specifically pray, pray that this offering this morning would go far beyond our walls to reach lost people for Jesus. God, you are good. just want to worship you in this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As the plate go, will you please stand and we'll close with a couple songs.